This is Wise Health for Women Warriors, the podcast that brings expert physicians to anyone treating female military patients and families. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Aaron Kaiser, Program Director of the Sashek OBGYN Residency and the Army Representative to the Women and Infant Clinical Community. And today, I'm speaking about preparing military women for field training and deployment with Colonel Powell Dumford. Colonel Powell Dumford is a USIS grad and completed a family medicine residency at Tripler. She has served as a flight surgeon throughout the DOD and most recently has served as the consultant to the Office of the Surgeon General for Women's Health. She has published over 40 peer-reviewed articles and many of those looking at women's health issues while deployed. So thank you so much, Colonel Powell Dumford, for being here with us today. Thank you, Colonel Kaiser, for having me and for all the listeners out there. Thank you for what you're doing for women's health and for your interest. The fact that you're tuning in today really means quite a bit. And the things that you're going to do in the future uh, mean a great deal, not just to the women individually, but for the military readiness that they bring to the fight uh, today and in the future. So, Colonel Powell Dumford, I know you've published several white papers and some peer-reviewed articles on female readiness issues. You know, with 17% of our service members now being women, what are the unique issues women face while deployed? Well, Dr. Kaiser, there's a lot of issues just at baseline that women face by virtue of having a unique um, reproductive tract and unique medical issues. Uh, For instance, uh, menstrual-related issues, vaginal infections, urinary tract infections, kidney stones, and sadly to say sexual assault. The problem with deployment that comes in is that women who are deployed are very, very far away many times from the medical support that comes to preventing these problems or from rapidly dealing with these issues. So what are some of the issues women while deployed are coming into sick call with that are unique to women versus, you know, male soldiers? Uh, Menstrual symptoms is a huge one. And I'd like, if it's okay, I'd like to relate a few personal stories that show why I'm so passionate about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I was an ROTC cadet, there is certainly no education out there for how to contend with the menstrual cycle in the field setting. So many women just weren't aware of what the hygiene measures were to take or how to appropriately dispose of tampons. So I remember being part of a whole big work detail to go fish out tampons from the latrines. So just a gross lack of education, understanding of management. And this is amongst a college-educated population that are you know, the future officers of tomorrow. Um, Another reason why this hits home so much is that I've got a family member back in New York who just suffers terribly from endometriosis. So I know what a debilitating condition this can be to add that element of being out in the field where there's little privacy, it's very inconvenient to menstruate. Someone who's got a problem with dysmenorrhea, that puts them at a real disadvantage from being able to perform their duties in a fashion compatible with their male counterparts. So you've mentioned that there are some preventative things we can do. So what can women do, you know, to prevent having these painful period issues or having to menstruate at all? Well, there's a number of different things. You can go really old school, continuous oral contraceptive pills or front line, I think, for a number of reasons. Even though it's a little difficult sometimes to remember to take one every day, there's little cues that you can use to educate your patient population. So If you say, hey, remember to take this every day when you brush your teeth, and in general, people are going to brush their teeth every day, you'd hope. 
Um, that's a good way to keep them on track. The oral contraceptive pills are nice because they've got a little extra benefits. It can help with improvement of acne. So if you're wearing your um, IBA, your body armor, a little bit less of a problem that you're going to have an eruption, exacerbation on the shoulders, on the back. That's a huge issue for people who've got significant acne. And any birth control pills will help the acne issue all over the body? Um, yes, actually it will. Um, so that's a big plus. You don't see that so much in other forms of contraception. Um, every form of contraception is important to be aware, has certain unique advantages and disadvantages. Um, the birth control pills, some of the other reasons that they're helpful is they reduce benign breast disease. They decrease the incidence of dysmenorrhea, endometriosis. They decrease the risk of ovarian cancer. So there's a lot of benefits to be said with continuous oral contraceptive pills. It's a matter really of educating people. When I went to the uniformed services, I was absolutely blown away to find out that I had been menstruating out in the field when there is a way to suppress that for my own convenience. And that's by skipping that blank placebo pill a week and just moving on to the next hormonally active uh, set of pills. So the... So the birth control pill packs as prescribed usually have the three weeks of active pills and that one week of placebo. And so to skip a period, in essence, they take the three weeks of pills, they throw the pack away, just ignore that placebo week and then start up on the next pack. That's exactly right. And from what I understand, the original manufacturer of the birth control pill actually just selected that random seven days with a Sunday start on the basis of his wife's normal cycles. So as we know, everyone's cycles is a little, they're a little bit unique. So really this is something that came about from a non-scientific method. The fact that they're there in the beginning. Now some people like to have their period and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But for someone who's gonna be in the field, who doesn't wanna have the inconvenience or bothersome aspects of menstruating, and that's, that's a really good option. Um, before I move on to the uh, long-acting reversible contraceptives, any other thoughts or questions about the continuous use of birth control pills? So one of the things I have noticed is when you try and prescribe patients continuous birth control pills with the packs that come, you know, three weeks of hormones, one week without, is that the pharmacy is sometimes resistant to um, refilling it because you're going to go through a pack in nine weeks instead of 12 weeks. So that problem with making sure our service members have enough pill packs if they're skipping that placebo week. That's a great point, Dr. Kaiser, Colonel Kaiser. I'm glad that you had brought that up. That's something that we want to make sure that we have providers attend to when we're putting in those prescriptions because although now we're allowed to give out a year's supply of birth control pills, we still have to be very, very mindful. If our patients are taking them continuously, we need to adjust the default computer setting of that prescription. Otherwise, they will wind up short and having to go in. Um, having to go in for prescription refill, this can be a big deal. I'm sure as many of you have personally experienced as patients, sometimes the pharmacy can entail, you know, maybe sitting there for an hour or longer waiting to get your prescription uh, refilled and ready for pickup. And I think with service members, 
who are going to deploy, you're allowed to prescribe a year's worth of, you know, any medication if they're deploying. Isn't that correct? I'm confident of the birth control pills. I'm not sure whether the rest have actually caught up at this time, though. I know that was a big initiative, a big push from the OTSG, Women's Health Service Line, to be able to get that. Um, The fact of the matter is that pregnancy downrange is a really, it's a big problem. We see up to 75% of women who are evacuated downrange. It, it is because of pregnancy. Yes. And, you know, I, I've deployed as a battalion surgeon, and I definitely saw that. Despite the number one rule being downrange that you're not supposed to have relations, um, I did diagnose several pregnancies downrange, and those women did get evacuated. Um, so I, I agree. I feel like the birth control, not only would it suppress your period and give you all those benefits you mentioned, um, it also is contraception, so would hopefully prevent those unintended pregnancies while deployed. That's right. So another, I had forgotten to mention that, um, obviously that is a huge benefit of prescribing the continuous birth control pills, is that you're a little bit less likely to become pregnant because you've got a continuous hormonal stimulus, um, but obviously it's going to be effective against preventing pregnancy and ectopic pregnancy as well. That's something you certainly don't want to miss downrange or ever. And then in addition to the pills, can you also do continuous with the patch and the ring? I know we have the ortho Evera patch and then the Nuva ring, which is the monthly ring. And then there's also new now that Anovera, which is on the DOD formulary, the year long ring. Yes, you actually can. You just have to remember that when the uh, time frame for that hormonal inactivity comes to fruition, where you're basically not going to have hormone Um, anymore, you have to restart immediately. And if you forget, you need to use some backup contraception before you go on to that uh, next uh, hormonal delivery system. Those forms of contraception, I think, really should be less favored when you're counseling women about what is going to be preferable for downrange, because many of those will require uh, refrigeration, certainly the Depo-Provera, um, the, the patch, I've seen problems where people wind up sweating that off in the desert, the hot weather environments. So that can create a problem. So Colonel Powell Dunford, there is a new contraceptive ring called Anovera, um, which is really new. I actually have not prescribed it yet, but it's supposed to be a, a ring similar to Nuva ring, but you can leave in for 12 months and it can provide kind of continuous uh, menstrual suppression, similar to NuvaRing, but the downside of NuvaRing, as you mentioned, is it does have to be refrigerated. So if you're deploying for more than three months, you can't really take NuvaRing with you. But the Anovera, since you can use it for you know 12 months and leave it in, um, could be a good um, future option you know for our female service members going down range if that's what they wanted. I know it is on the DoD formulary, but like I said, I haven't yet prescribed it, but I think it could be you know a great option going forward. I think that's a great point. Uh, my my only recommendation and thought is to make sure that women um, who are prescribed that they do feel comfortable with replacing it if it, there's a dislodgement issue and that they do try to do some rigorous type of uh, physical training exertion with that in place so that they're really, they have confidence that it's going to stay well seated and they're going to be comfortable with having that as a long-term uh device or medication, whatever you'd like to refer to it as while they're downrange. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They have to be able to. I mean, technically, you could leave it in. They say you could even have intercourse with it in, but you would want to feel comfortable being able to take it out and replace it if needed. What I think is really important to counsel women about, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, are the LARCs, the long-acting reversible contraceptive devices. So it used to be, um, this is really a, a gross misconception that Nulliparous women would not would not be able to have an IUD placed. Um, prior IUDs were associated with a slightly increased risk of pelvic inflammatory disease. That is not the case anymore. So at one point in time, the thinking was, well, if you're setting up a young nulliparous woman for pelvic infectious disease, potentially you're putting her fertility at risk. And just to clarify, when you talk about long-acting reversible contraception, that includes the different intrauterine devices, the hormonal and non-hormonal, and then the nexlanons? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And it's the, the IUDs, especially the copper ones, in the past were associated with increased risk of pelvic inflammatory disease. The newer ones um, and follow-on studies have debunked that as well. So Absolutely. If there's someone who's never been pregnant before, they absolutely can have an IUD placed. Um, Marina, which is hormonally active, that can help suppress menstruation quite nicely. The advantage to Marina as well is that you don't have to remember to take it every single day the way you do for oral contraceptive. So the long-acting reversible contraceptives are very, very nice for those who are prone to forget for those who just dislike taking a pill. I mean, who really wants to take a pill at all? Um, another nice thing about them is if a woman who decides, you know what, now is the time. I do want to start a family. They can have that reversed pretty quickly. Whereas a Depo-Provera, that can take you know, up to several months to reverse that form of contraception. And so if a service member, and if a service member wanted to pursue one of the long-acting reversible contraceptives, whether it's an IUD or Nexplanon, where can they go to get that accomplished? That they should be able to get accomplished at their medical treatment facility. Right now, there's a lot of GMOs who are not necessarily comfortable with placing those types of contraceptives. And for someone who's not comfortable, I recommend that you get with, and I know I hate to push drug representatives and so forth, but there are educational programs they're tied with some of the um, product managers who can come into your MTF and provide the education and then get you the number that are required for you to be privileged in placing the uh, LARC. Yeah, and the next one on is actually pretty simple to place, and it doesn't require that any provider is necessarily comfortable with pelvic exams because it's basically like an IV that goes in the arm. Um, so those are pretty simple to place. The IUDs, obviously, you have to be a little bit more comfortable with doing a speculum exam and a pelvic exam. Um, but the Defense Health Agency ha is pushing out the recommendation to have um, walk-in contraception clinics at most bases. And so I know a lot of the Navy bases and Air Force and Army bases around um, the country have started offering, they're calling them PINK, and now I can't remember what PINK stands for, but um, P-I-N-C, but the walk-in contraceptive clinics where women can walk in and get same-day LARC if that's what they desired. Yeah, I, I think those show a lot of promise right now. I believe there's one at um, Fort Hood, if I'm not mistaken, that had some good results, good patient satisfaction, certainly. 
the U.S. Marine Corps had a program where they allowed early entry trainees to actually have access to OBGYN services very, very early during their initial training, and their unplanned pregnancy rates just dropped. Um, I think you need to understand the family repercussions. Someone who's got an unplanned pregnancy, that involves a lot of hard decisions, a lot of career decisions. So we really need to do our best to set up military women for success. A lot of them entered the military at a young age, and they're not necessarily banking on starting a family. The usual step after joining the military is they want to progress a little bit, at least, during their military career. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so true. And obviously, having unplanned pregnancies can have drastic consequences. So I know you mentioned some other things when we started besides the menstrual issues while deployed. You talked about some vag- vaginitis issues urinary tract infections. I guess, what are some of the other things women can do or providers can prepare women for before going downrange? That's a great question. I think education really is key. So self-awareness, do you know what your vaginal symptoms are? Um, If you've had BV in the past or yeast infection, do you know what the symptoms are? Are you familiar with those symptoms and signs? For someone who's got repetitive infections, Certainly, you can consider prophylaxis. I think for someone who knows that they're going to be stationed very, very far forward, where they're not going to have easy access to even a medic, I think it's really worthwhile to consider, especially if you've got a good patient uh, provider relationship, to provide them with medication up front, to give them a dose of Diflucan. So that way, they can take it right at the start of what they know for sure is going to be an infection. I think a lot of times people need to have education about um, proper proper vaginal hygiene. So, no, you don't want to be taking a lot of bubble baths. You don't want to be douching. These sorts of things can build up um, problems. And folks with recurrent infections, you have to ask questions like these. Are they wearing cotton underwear, uh, which is going to be a little bit safer for prevention of uh, infection, particularly the yeast infection? And so you mentioned Diflucan. And then you also mentioned BV. Could, do you also feel like it's reasonable to send patients downrange with some flagell in addition to Diflucan if they have if they know they have a history of BV? Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit controversial um, because you don't want to miss an STD. And sometimes there can be confusion between the two, whereas the yeast infection really, it's, it's much more classic. Um, someone who just has a chronic BV and you've got a very tight relationship with them, um, I think you could consider it. I think I would feel much personally, I would feel much more comfortable prescribing the Diflucan for someone who's got that known history of yeast infection. Sure. And then would you also consider that with women who know they get chronic you know, UTIs or bladder infections? Yeah, I'm glad you brought those. Well, I think young women are ideal candidates to give a, a um, dose of SEPTRA to the three-day pack of SEPTRA. So in case they've come down with the UTI, they'll be able to access it right away. Um, the urology professional societies really, do, they discourage that for women who are under 40. Because 40 and onward, you're just a little bit more likely to get a complication of that UTI. And it's always better, if possible, to have uh, urinalysis with culture for that group. For the the young women, and predominantly it's the young women who are going to be deploying forward, um, it's acceptable to go ahead and just give them a dose to take with them. 
And unless you've been deployed to one of these really, really austere places, I think it's hard to conceptualize that you are just not going to have any kind of medical support, maybe for weeks and weeks or months on end. And so if you let something fester, it can become very, very complicated, require an evacuation. And what that means is that you're taking a helicopter out of action for something else it could be doing. Um, potentially not able to respond to another casualty in another place. And sometimes women are the sole MOS for that forward operating base. Sure. So it's like you're taking someone out of theater for a UTI when you could have treated it with prophylactic septra or septra is at the time of symptom onset. Yeah, absolutely. If that turns into a pyelonephritis because it's been neglected, that can have huge implications. And that woman could be the only interpreter for her brigade. She could be the only refueler for that outpost. And I remember, like, I know with, you know, men oftentimes when we were deployed had empty water bottles at their bedside that they would pee into because they didn't want to get up and hike to the bathroom, you know, in the middle of the night. And so women, I think, try and suppress not having to pee because they don't want to have to do that in the middle of the night by themselves, trek out to the bathroom. Um, So the female urinary diversion device, the FUD, was a great tool. I was so excited to learn about that after I'd already been downrange for like two months. But it basically allows women to not to also urinate into a bottle because it's almost like a funnel. That's right. Is that something we should be sending our women downrange with? Yes, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, they can't be ordered by the women themselves directly. However, as providers, you can get them through the Charlie Meds for the role facilities. And if you do a Google search as well, you'll see that there's a lot of commercial off-the-shelf FUDs that are available. What's really nice about this, not only does it afford a lot of convenience, it protects the perineal area. If you're squatting, you're really subjecting that sensitive area to to grass, to poison ivy, poison oak. It can lead to a really uncomfortable infection and ultimately put you into sick call and reducing your operating capability if you have an infection. No, I totally agree. I feel like when I discovered the FUD, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) And I feel like some women were, I think, embarrassed to do it. But I mean, I was at that point restricting what I drank at night because I didn't want to have to walk by myself in the middle of the night in the dark. And so I think this is a great option for women because, you know, you talked about sexual assault and I imagine, you know, women wandering to the bathroom in the middle of the night by themselves is like a perfect opportunity for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And on the uh, air assault operations that I flew on, a lot of time we would uh, wind up having to do a hot refuel and need to be back into the battle as soon as possible for the troops. And when you're trying to unstrap all your life-saving equipment and then undo your buckle and then undo your pants, and then it's just, it's a nightmare really. So the FUD, the FUD is a blessing. So one of the things I noticed when I was downrange is, you know, there's all these SRPs that we have to do prior to deployment. And I can't tell you how many PPD tests I got and unnecessary immunizations I got because they lost records. Um, but really no one spoke to me about any of these issues before deploying. And I was shocked when I was downrange that so many women, you know, were maybe given a depo shot the day before they deployed or, you know, came with very little knowledge or resources for any of these things we discussed. So what are some things we can be doing to make this better? I think you're absolutely right that we've got to 
do some education, some dedicated evaluation and management at least 90 days before deployment. If you wait and you're going to do this sort of thing the week of or two weeks prior to the deployment, like a lot of times that happens, and someone says that they do want to have birth control, even if they're asked that question at all, then you've really set them up for failure because we know to anticipate some abnormalities, some irregularities in that first few uh, weeks of hormonal use. So someone who maybe prescribed something that would really wor be worrying for her at the end of the day, so to speak, is going to cause some spotting and breakthrough bleeding because she wasn't educated about that. And now she's going through time zone changes during the deployment. So someone's going to lose faith in a method that really could be working well for her if she had the patience and ed the education to wait it out for that. Um, so you're saying someone gets their orders. I mean, I, I had my orders four months before I deployed. So you're saying don't wait until the SRP the three days before, you know, go seek out that woman's health the women's health expert, you know, three months before, so you can hopefully get started on something. And if it doesn't work, you can address it before you're downrange with little, with fewer options. Exactly. Exactly. And so as providers, you as listeners should be mindful. Um, the way things happen, especially with providers being assigned to remote locations that deploy themselves and sometimes being individual augmentees, not necessarily going with a big unit. When you hear that one of your patients is set to deploy, it's important to discuss contraception, to discuss menstrual regulation, and basically all the things that we had talked about, the things that'll set them up for success for their deployment. And if you as a provider don't feel comfortable doing it, they could also always refer to family medicine or OBGYN, right, in the military, so, or to someone who's just more comfortable talking about these issues. Yep, absolutely. I do have another resource that I'd like to give the listeners and then also put into the show notes. And that's for the provider, uh, particularly the GMO. Maybe you're out at uh, Sinai or you're in Alaska. You don't have access to a good family medicine doc or OBGYN. And that is the PATH hotline uh, for routine consultation. So that is for non-urgent questions and concerns about OBGYN issues. Um, this will go into the show notes, but I'm going to recite it for folks who are listening in. It's HTTPS colon backslash backslash P-A-T-H dot T-A-M-C dot AMED with two Ds dot army dot mil. It's an email address. It's a monitored uh, distribution box. And, you know, the military has started this advisor program. Have you heard of this, ma'am? Yeah. Yeah, actually I do. That is for urgent. Um, yeah, that's for urgent consults. But, you know, OBGYN now is taking call for that as well. So it's for people who are deployed downrange. If you have an emergency question, there's an OBGYN. There's all the subspecialties are rec are are represented, but GYN was not until the last nine months. So now as of the last nine months, GYN is also available for emergency consultation. Yes, that is, it's an outstanding service. And I'll give you the listener that number as well. 
Um, but again, this is an urgent thing. So you don't want to tie it up for something routine. This is, you know, you're already downrange or you're far away um, in a training area and someone's got some type of uncontrolled bleeding. They're feeling very woozy, that sort of thing. That is 1-833-238-7756. And that 238-7756, it actually spells out advisor line without the vowel. So, and it'll be option number two for specialty providers. That'll connect you to a uh, no kid in OBGYN with a pager who's going to be able to help you out for your urgent, no kidding, I need help right now situation. And then I know we've mentioned some tools for our providers. Are there any tools out there for our service women? Oh, yeah. Actually, there's been an app that's developed by DHA, the Decide Be Ready. I believe it is. Yeah, Decide and Be Ready. And I think you can just search that in the app store, Decide, Be Ready. It'll come up. It's like a purple, pink. Yep, that's that's right. Um, Unfortunately, for our initial entry trainees, they don't have always access to their cell phones. So they can't load it necessarily at that point. But once those folks are in the clear, or if you're seeing someone who's in training particularly, who's motivated not to become pregnant at that point in their lives, then they can go on to that app. It's available for download on Android as well as the iPhone. And it'll actually put them through the numbers of the different contraceptives that are available and help them select the one that is really going to work best for them based on their personal preferences, on how much assurance that they want that they aren't going to become pregnant, whether or not they really want to be taking a pill every day um, and help guide them in a a discussion with their provider when they finally have a chance to see you, the listener. And then I think shortly coming, hopefully by the time this is out, will be the DRESS app, D-R-E-S, Deployment Readiness app that also the DHA is putting together um, that really helps with kind of pre-deployment and deployment issues that a lot of what we just spoke about today. Yeah, the Army's working hard on that, and that'll be a great resource. Congress has actually required that uh, basic trainees and also officer trainees receive some education now about women's health, particularly about contraception. So to have that DOD-wide product in hand is going to go a long, long way to educating our service women. Um, in the interim, because the Army doesn't turn or the Navy or Air Force doesn't turn on a pin, it's a big, slow-moving boat. It's important that we as providers and you, the listeners, help do your part to educate all the women who come through. Um, now, as you're seeing your patient, I would like you to take a particular uh, attention and focus on the medication list because Pretty much all women in the military are going to benefit from a prenatal vitamin. And I'll tell you why. Not only does it have that folic acid in there, which is going to help protect the fetus, a growing fetus from uh, neurological problems, spinal cord problems, there's also iron supplementation in there. And there have been studies that show women in the military run toward the anemic side at baseline. And we know that that has implications for hemoglobin hematocrit. So there have been some studies recently that show that women who are supplemented with a prenatal vitamin containing iron, they actually had a runtime that was about two minutes faster than women who didn't have any such supplementation. 
Oh, that's amazing. We need to push that out for all of us before our PT. I know. <laughs> I know. There's just not the education out there about it. Um, now, this is another reason why continuous birth control pills or the Mirena IUD can be helpful uh, because they reduce that anemia that's associated with menstruation. Um, not only is it good for when you're trying to pass a PT test or get into that school or get that good rating that is going to be tied with the good, excellent physical performance, downrange, it really, really matters. When you're running um, as far as you can with some AK-47s point at you and all, you've got your battle rattle on, it's nice to know that you've got as much energy as you can possibly have in your little legs as you're, as you're trucking away toward safety or toward the casualties you're taking care of. Well, and the higher H&H they have is going to be better, too. If they are wounded, you know, they'll have more reserves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a number of reasons that prenatal vitamins are their goodness. But we don't, as providers, we don't always check to see that someone's on them. And most of the time, when, when I see patients, they're not on them. Now, that's a great point. So we need to be packaging up women with prenatal vitamins, their continuous oral contraceptives, their scepter, and their diflucan. We need a little, like, pill pack for all women going down range. <laughs> that's right. I remember the Rangers back in early OIF, OEF, had their the pill packs for if they were wounded. So something similar potentially for us to help contend with the uh, inconveniences and potential pitfalls of deployment. Absolutely. So you heard it from the expert. Make sure your service women are getting that pre-deployment health appointment with a women's health expert three months before they deploy. So thanks for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us and the great work the WIC is doing, go to the WIC SharePoint. The link and email address is in the show notes. The references and the links to the apps that we discussed today will also be in the show notes. Well, thanks again, all the listeners, for what you're doing for our service women out there. You're at the tip of the spear. Um, I'm so happy we got folks like you looking out for folks like my daughter. I really appreciate your service and your dedication to improving your own education and knowledge about women's health. Thanks for listening.